0: Hello and welcome to Nightlight. You are to fight a uh, good warfare with the prophetic words that went, that were spoken over you. He says that with a kind of an off the cuff, if I can use that term, uh, uh, a mindset that seems to imply that they were all so familiar with that that it didn't need to be unpacked. And I think that's exactly true. I think the early church obviously moved in the power of the Spirit, understood the workings of the Spirit, understood the warfare they were in, understood the, the weapons of their warfare were not carnal, but mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God they all understood that. So when Paul says to Timothy, uh, rather nonchalantly, remember the prophetic words that were spoken over you at your ordination, and uh, with those prophetic words you fight a good warfare. Um, I, we're going to see, we are seeing that understanding being restored to the, the body of Christ, as the gifts of the Spirit are being restored more and more and more, and as people are waking up to how utterly, really embarrassingly ignorant we have allowed ourselves to be, uh, and the Lord is lovingly, patiently, but firmly forcing us to come out of our ignorance and start seeing how uh, how far we are from the life of the New Testament in our so-called daily Christian life. And he's, he's bringing that all together uh, through various circumstances that we're in. Well, I'm saying all that to try to introduce to you uh, a story that I want to tell you. I've, I've talked about this in bits and pieces off and on here and there. But I want to try to tell a more concise and focused version of it in the context of what I'm talking about here, by the the operation of the gifts of prophecy. Uh, and I hope you're understanding without me going into too much of a teaching on it. Prophecy has many, many manifestations, many layers. Uh, it's a it's, uh, I mean, when I was a young boy coming into the things of the Holy Spirit, I thought prophecy was just a person standing up in a service and speaking out. This is what the Lord says, and then so on and so forth. It, it, and it, that was that was training wheels prophecy. It was it was good. It was okay. Sometimes it was good. Sometimes it was not good or less than good but we were learning now thankfully we're coming into uh, understandings where the prophetic gift may operate in a uh, a corporate board meeting or in a movie studio or on a football field or uh, any any other numbers of non-religious settings where the function of the gifts of the holy spirit word of knowledge word of wisdom discerning of spirits comes through what we might think of in a catch all phrase as the gift of prophecy. But it's got these other manifestations woven into it. Uh in nineteen eighty four, eighty five, eighty six, those those three years when I was uh pastoring in Texas and really thinking that i was probably where i was supposed to be for the rest of my life doing what i was supposed to do for the rest of my life walking out of a service one one afternoon uh, a dear lady in the church who i didn't know very well walked up to me and said you are not where you're finally supposed to be, nor are you doing what you're supposed to do ultimately. You are called to address the nations and you've allowed yourself to become very self-satisfied with the comfort of this place but the Lord wants you to release it back to him and obey him. And that was really all she had to say. And she smiled and thanked me for my ministry or something like that and walked away. And I knew in my head uh, this was a conflict with my emotions. I knew in my heart every word she said was true. And it came to my mind, that familiar verse we've all learned since middle school, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not to your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge him and then he will direct your paths. And I knew I was I was to trust the Lord in my heart, I was to not lean to my understanding. In other words, what was in my head was not what the Lord was saying, what was in my heart was what the Lord was saying, what was in my heart was conflicting with what I wanted in my head, and so, I in all my ways, I had to acknowledge him. And if I would, then he would direct my paths. And that all happened inside of me between uh, my conversation with this lady and, and the door of my car, about 30 feet away. By the time I got to my car, I was being taken into a different mindset and a different way of thinking. But... You also learn that you don't immediately try to make anything happen. You can't make anything happen. You just let that soak in and take root in your heart and say, yes, Lord, because that's all you say when you're talking to the Lord. There's no such thing as no Lord. <laughs> if he's your Lord. And I said to him, you know, whatever, whatever you want to do with me, do it. Now, that brings to mind a verse in the book of Hebrews where it says, After you were enlightened, you entered a great battle of afflictions. Immediately after, almost immediately after that conversation, the atmosphere in my life seemed to change from a sunshiny afternoon to a dark and stormy night. And I went into a period of great spiritual battle. Some of that battle let me be clear to say, was my own uh, issues in my own character. Some of it was very clearly an attack, a, a, a demonic attack. And uh, the Lord was using all that to to bring me to the place where he wanted to fulfill that word that was given to me by that dear lady. Now, she didn't even know she was, quote, prophesying. I don't know if she even understood the word Prophecy. I mean, maybe she did, but she—I got the impression, uh, even after I talked to her a few other occasions, not related to her conversation with me—that she really was a novice in in the operation of prophetic things. She was just telling me what she'd gotten from the Lord in prayer, which is really beautiful, wonderful. It's why God says, "I would that all my people would prophesy." Uh, and so uh in, in this great battle which i won't go into in great detail uh i ended up uh in a a time of great focus on what was next uh my adopted guys were all going their ways in school and marriage and uh, various other aspects of life. Uh, we moved out of the house that we had uh, been living in and I, I sent them all their separate ways and this is obviously before Mary and I married. And I moved into a one-bedroom efficiency apartment and locked myself into it and really focused on on the Lord, I, I'd uh, given away my television, and I thought, well, I at least should have a television. So I bought, <laughs> I bought a television at Sears and Roebuck, and th- the next day took it back. You should have seen the face of the of the guy that waited on me. He sold me the television, and the next day, I, he, I mean, I don't think anybody in, in the history of television, in, in his mind anyway, had ever taken a television back. But I said, uh, he said, what's wrong with it? I said, well, nothing's wrong with it. I, I just don't need it. And that really made him look at me like I had two heads. But I, I said, I just, I don't need it. There's nothing wrong with it. You don't need to send it back to the factory. You can sell it to somebody else. But it's interfering with my life, and I don't need it. And that was true, and he took it back. And I went back to that uh, that uh place and uh, buried myself in the Word of God in, in prayer and in, in my prayer journal and ask the Holy Spirit to please speak to me more deeply about what was next. Now, at, the, at this time, I was pastorally caring for a what you might call an outpost of uh, wounded but healing people We had just, uh, some of you know this story, we had just come through a terrible, terrible church split. It was actually way worse than a split. A split implies two intact pieces. We, We didn't have two intact pieces. We had disintegration upon disintegration. We had relationships that broke up we had marriages that broke up we had friendships that broke up as the church disintegrated and as different people took their part in uh this party and that party and i'm of i'm of paul and i'm of apollos and i'm of peter and i'm of jesus i mean you know just exactly what paul refers to in first corinthians where he he says you're all carnal here's what you're of you're of the flesh. And I was just as much in the flesh as anybody else in that thing. And there were a lot of people following me. Thankfully, not all of them who were following me were of me. Some of them were following me just because they wanted to hear what I had to say, but their eyes were on Jesus. <laughs> anyway, uh so we we began to form uh, an outpost congregation kind of like a mass unit on a battlefield and about 80 to 100 people would gather and uh, I did a lot of teaching some of the teaching series that we have out today uh, available today was done in that in that context uh vital family issues uh, the prayer series uh several others I, I won't name them all but they were all done. There was a great anointing for teaching. There was an anointing for prayer. There was an anointing for worship. But we were all still limping. We were all still bleeding. And we were all still learning about our own sin and how our sin contributed to what we saw as the debacle of the, the whole church system. And so it was in that context, <clears throat> while I was teaching, one one Sunday morning that uh a young father walked up to me with his young teenage son pre teenage son, and he said to me uh, i I think I better tell you what happened a while ago um and and it just, it just came to me just now that I never noticed before the, the significance. Everything I'm about to tell you, uh, the, the first part of it anyway, comes through a father and son. Uh, I think that's significant. Uh, because Malachi chapter 4 says, I'll turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children, and the hearts of the children back to their fathers, so that the earth will not be overrun with a curse. And this father and son came up to me, and his eyes were, the father's eyes were kind of big, and he said, uh, while you were speaking, I saw the head of a, of a, I don't know what to call it, it was a red bull. But it was way more than a bull, and it was way more than red. It was, it was blood red, angry red, fiery, hellish, Warlike red and fire was coming out of its nostrils. And, uh, I saw this thing while you were speaking. And he said, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to tell you about it or what, what you may tell me about it, but I, I, I couldn't just ignore it because it wasn't just something I saw in my mind. It was almost as if it was out floating in the, in the air, uh, uh at you aimed at you. And I thanked him. And I had some idea about it, but not a great deal of of details. And so I went back to my little cubby hole, my little hobbit hole, and uh, wrote it down and prayed about it and pretty much forgot it. And then the next Sunday, Uh, almost the same scenario except it was from a a father and son who were not in the service the previous week and who I happen to know were not personally acquainted to the other man and his son. And as they approached me, it was the same scenario except the father said, uh, said, uh, Billy has something he's got to say to you. And I said, well, tell me. And he said, while you were, while you were speaking, I, I saw this, this bull. Now notice this time was a progression. It was a a greater picture than just the head of a bull. I saw this bull aiming at you and pawing the ground at you. And it had fire coming out of its nostrils. And it was real, real red. It wasn't just red. And he said exactly the same thing. It was like blood red, war red. And he said it started running towards you. It was really scary. It was running towards you. And I said, "Well, what, what happened?" He said, "Well, I saw, I saw this angel. This angel. I guess it was an angel." He said, "This this angel stepped up and pulled out a sword, cut its head off." Kid-like, you know, he's about 10, 11 years old. He kind of shrugged his shoulders and grinned and said, that's all. <laughs> well, obviously that put me in more of a mode of prayer and study and seeking the Lord about what's going on. So the following Wednesday, uh, Wednesday night prayer, prayer meeting, we had Wednesday night prayer meeting. at at that time and the the sky the Texas sky was boiling it was one of those nights where you don't want to be anywhere but home and uh at least out of out of the, the weather uh the sky just boiling angry uh with what looks like could be a dangerous storm and I was really hoping nobody would show up actually uh but sure enough, about 20 or 30 people did show up. And so uh, I was teaching. And as I was teaching, I was I was teaching from Colossians chapter 1, where Paul is describing the Lord Jesus Christ as the firstborn above all creation. That doesn't mean he's the first created being. It means he is the Son of First, the firstborn, he is the rightful owner of all things. For then, he, Paul, Paul clarifies it when he says, All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him, all things are held together. And I'm going through this, and as I'm reading these verses, I'm getting more into it. I mean, I didn't want to teach that night, I didn't really want to be there. But as I heard the word of God coming out of my own mouth about the Word of God, uh, I began to preach myself happy, so to speak, and I began to uh to really sense the, the presence of the Holy Spirit on that message. But I noticed there was a young man sitting in the back of the room I'd never seen before. It was kind of odd on a Wednesday night to have visitors of any kind, but at the end of the meeting, he walked up to me and he said, uh, he introduced himself and he said, uh, I'm not from here. I'm, I'm from Shreveport. I was here visiting my cousin. And he said, and then he, I'll just say how he said it. He said, Mr., I'm not, I'm not, I'm Baptist. I don't know nothing about what I'm fixing to tell you. I mean, you understand, I'm <laughs> I'm Baptist. But he said, while while you were speaking, I saw this, this pillar of light on either side of you, one on one side, one on the other. And it was just like in the movies. I mean, they started kind of shimmering and moving around on the inside, kind of like Star Trek. And he said, then they took the form of, I guess, angels, maybe, maybe angels. And he said, as you started talking about Jesus being the the ruler of all creation and everything is held together by His word of command, when you were talking about that, they both just lit up. And then they had these swords, and he said, I guess it like Star Trek, it's like Star Wars. They 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 crossed their swords above your head, and this light just covered the whole front there. And he'd say, I'm Baptist, man. I don't know nothing about all this stuff. But then I said, while well, I'm rubbing my eyes, and I'm thinking, what is this? And, and I love it that God used somebody who didn't know nothing about any of this stuff. Because I'll, I'll be honest with you, if some of those folks that I had encountered in that time period had had some prophetic word for me and they'd seen angels and flashes of light, and so forth, I would have probably not taken it <laughs> too seriously because some of them were a little bit out there. But this guy knew nothing, and that that seemed to give some validity to what he was saying. And so um he said, the last thing I heard was... Pray for this man to be protected from the bulls of Bashan. And he said, I don't know what those things are, mister, but I'll pray for you. And he said, Good night and walked out the door. Well, by that time, everybody had gone, but me. The sky was really you know that East Texas green color that suggests even tornadoes. And I got out the door and I locked it. And I I had to make a stop at my at the storeroom where I had stored all my books because I had to pull out some research books. I had to I had to look up all I could on the bulls. Of Bashan, because obviously I knew this is this is part three of a of a three-part prophetic vision. The first one last Sunday, the second one this past Sunday, and now the third one on Wednesday. Uh, all of them speaking of the bulls, and then on the third uh, session, uh, the third vision I'm uh, giving a name the the bulls of Bashan. Or, uh, Bashan, as some people pronounce it. I get to my little hobbit hole and do uh, an all-night study as the wind is howling. It's like a scene out of a movie. The wind is howling and whistling around the corners. And I'm reading about the bulls of Bashan. Now, in times past, we have we have mentioned this in previous studies. But um, forgive me if I repeat myself uh, in some of this. But in Psalm 22, uh, maybe, let me just read this. Uh, Of course, Psalm 22, you're all familiar with. It's the, the crucifixion psalm. It's the prophetic picture of the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But if you read down through the entire chapter, you come to this point where there's these vivid descriptions of what happened at the cross. But this would be included in what happens at the cross. Because it says uh, that the bulls of Bashan have surrounded me. So at the cross, the, the bulls of Bashan, these spirit beings, who are connected to, and I don't know how much to get into this right now, but they're connected to the worship of Baal, which took place uh, um, among the Canaanites in the shadow of Mount Hermon and uh this is all related to Genesis chapter 6 when the fallen angels uh cohabit with human women and produce a race of giants those giants become uh the prototypes of the greek gods and the pagan gods um there's so much out there now on that subject i never refer to it because there's so much out there now some of it's good some of it's not so good some of it's biblical some of it's just sheer sheer fanciful craziness but uh it just again points back to how much how, how ignorant we are of scripture and how unbelieving we are about the spirit realm and the reality of the spirit realm. And I won't go more into detail about that for, for, for time's sake, but I mean, I, I may go into it more in detail, Lord directing us, but, but in verse 12 it says, uh, be not, it says, be not far from, for, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Bulls of Bashan, or Bashan, have encircled me. They open wide their mouths at me, uh, as a ravening and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax; it melts within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. It's just a picture of the horror. Of, of the cross, the desolation of the cross. Why would bulls of Bashan be surrounding him at the cross? Here we have the great cosmic universe conflict of Christ uh, and the principalities and powers where Jesus is defeating the powers and destroying their ability to rule the earth but uh, and, and again I won't get into all that as much as I would like to and maybe we can soon but my point is this as I was studying here in various other places in scripture I began to hear the voice of the spirit amplify and uh, clarify what all these prophetic words were, and by that clarification, I was able to begin to wage a good warfare. I begin to, you know, Paul says uh, in First Corinthians chapter 9, he says, I don't fight like one who beats the air. I, I don't fight like a shadow boxer. I know what I'm fighting. Uh, I can plant a blow on something that I'm able to aim at. And that's one of the reasons for the gifts of the Holy Spirit, is to help us see the unseeable, to help us discern the undiscernable. And though we can't see it, and though it may not be clear on, on the same level as uh, something we look at in the natural, uh, sometimes it's even more clear in the invisible. You know, we, we talk about seeing the unseeable, hearing the inaudible, uh, and so I began to fight like one who no longer was beating the air. Up until that time, I was like a man who was beating the air. I would come in uh, exhausted from conflicts and fights and marriage troubles and not my marriage troubles, but trying to help other people with theirs, and uh, kids in trouble and families in conflict and I, sometimes I would just cry like a child from exhaustion, the emotional exhaustion of it. And uh, it was night, remember this was 1987. Uh, and I began to hear the Lord say to me, it's time for you to embrace the fact that I did not call you here to live out a quiet, peaceful East Texas life. Untroubled by the the battle and the warfare of the world, I'm calling you to embrace what uh, what I'm showing you, and you are you are being stalked and resisted by the bulls of Bashan, and the Lord began to unpack all this for me, and. Uh, here again i may go into more detail about uh, all the historical background of this maybe i really need to actually but um it was it, that was the first year 1987 was the first year of the beginning of what would eventually become the the healing conferences that mary and i would would carry on on both sides of the atlantic for the next twenty years. And in those conferences we would we would address the, the the emotional and sexual and occult bondages that had wrapped themselves around the lives of God's people, either out of their ignorance or out of their willful rebellion against the Word of God. But chains begin to fall off of people, and people begin to be delivered. And uh this all has to do with the worship of Baal. I mentioned that a while ago. And here again, this has now become such a well-known topic in many circles that I haven't felt any need to uh, unpack it. I mean, why? Why add to what's already out there on so many subjects? You hear people talk about Baal. You hear people talk about Jezebel. Uh, all of those kinds of things. And a lot of, a great deal of what I hear is valid. It's true. It's what I had to, to learn to deal with uh, in that stormy night in 1987. But, uh, I'm, I'm saying all that to say this. You can't operate in the realms of spiritual effectiveness that we are now called to. If you have a mindset, and I know I'm, I'm preaching to the choir. I don't need to tell most people on Nightlight uh, any of what I'm about to say. But if perchance you're new, new here or if you've been a night lighter for a long time, but you've pretty much stayed in the shallows and stayed, quote, safe, I want to tell you all, we are beyond the day of being able to stay safely on the sidelines and just dip our toe in these things and, uh, then close the door. You can't be like I was uh, when I lived in my little hobbit hole, uh, in 1986 and 87, hiding from the real war. You have got to throw yourself in completely and make yourself available and, uh, the Holy Spirit will guide you where you're supposed to be in your part of the conflict. But when when uh, we're dealing with Baal now, uh, we thought I thought at the time that I was just dealing with Baal as a localized spiritual force in people's private lives. sometimes in conferences we would pray for deliverance from the spirit of Baal. There would be great manifestations of the demonic as people saw things come out of them, some of the most dramatic encounters I have seen, and I've seen some pretty dramatic stuff, but some of the most dramatic stuff I've ever seen uh, would happen during that pr- prayer for the, the deliverance from Baal. You see, Baal is the god of sexual orgy. He's the he's, he's God, little g-god. He's not a god at all, really. But he is a little Elohim. He's a he's a little god, uh, and uh, he has other manifestations. Like for instance, he was the god of storms. I've always had to wonder, you know, while I was making my way through my study books in my little hole, the the, the sky above me was roaring, ro- ro- roaring and rolling and boiling. It's hard to say those three words. They all get wrapped up in my mouth at once. Whirling. Anyway, uh, I've had to wonder, you know, was that a manifestation of, of the largeness of the spirit that I was about to, to be dealing with? Uh, I'll say in a parenthesis, just for the benefit of anybody who may not be well trained in these things, I was not challenging this spirit personally or directly. I was not putting up my Dukes and telling him to put up his, uh, nothing that stupid. Uh, you don't have the power in yourself to take on principalities and powers. You do it by the direction of the Holy Spirit, and it's wise usually to do it in a group, uh, with a, with a team as we did, uh, in the conferences. We, we would deal with it as a team. Uh there are maybe occasions when the Holy Spirit will direct people to pray uh concerning these things and, and just between them and the Lord, but uh not not normally. So please don't let me hear from any of you who decided you would take on uh these things and command them to manifest themselves or some such craziness. I remember in uh, Austin, Texas nineteen eighty eight is this, this this thing began to develop. Uh, we had about uh, oh I don't know five six hundred people at a church beautiful church building on the side of a mountain overlooking the city. It was a beautiful panoramic view of the city and uh, we started the conference and as it began. All hell broke loose. I mean, this is the first session all hell broke loose. It was not my conference. This was Leanne leading the conference and I was part of the team. But see, God was training me then. He was, He said He was going to train me to deal with these things. So, uh, we had a, a 230 pound man attack this little woman and, uh, Then other crazy things like that happened. All, all at one time, it was just chaos. Just, uh, anyway, we got it all under control and then we, uh, gathered as a team and thought, what in the world? We hadn't even had an opening session yet. And in walked these two well-meaning, godly, sweet ladies. Bless their hearts. They meant well. But they walked in just glowing. They they thought, well, we've really seen God move already. We had <laughs> God wasn't moving. People were crazy and demons were moving. And uh we asked these ladies what, what they knew about it, and they said, Oh, we've been praying for this conference for a month. We'd come up here and we would stand in this uh, sanctuary with the, the, this big glass window that overlooked the panorama of the city. We would look out on the panorama and we, we commanded all the powers of darkness that rule the city of Austin, which is therefore the demons that rule the state of Texas. Uh, don't, don't think there's not demons that rule the state of Texas. I'll tell you for, for sure. Don't, don't think oh, not Texas. <laughs> oh, buddy. Anyway, I not get off on that. I said, well, how did, how did you pray? They said, well, we commanded those, those spirits, we commanded them to come down from their perches. Well, they sure enough came down. They came right down on the prayers of these women. Like a fireman comes down a fireman pole. They came right down the pole into the meeting and turned it into absolute chaos. And we brought it under order. We went in and anointed the room and cast out every foul spirit, commanded every spirit to leave that uh, had come in. Uh, we brought order back where there was disorder. See, Baal is is disorder. I mean, this the roaring sea, the beast coming up out of the roaring sea. Uh, anyway. My point is, uh, we got the meeting back under order and a lot of people got help and a lot of people got delivered, but it was not because of those women's prayers. It was in spite of their misguided misuse of the operation of spiritual warfare. Anyway, I want to, I want to close our time here with another story, not about me, but yet it is about me. It's about all of us. Speaking of Baal and the storm and him being not only the god of sexual orgy, but also he was thought of as the storm god. And this, this goes to show you how superstition got mixed up with sound, Jewish theology. So that the average well-educated, well educated, well semi educated Jewish young man, young, young boy, like all the disciples were, or most of them, uh, the they, they, the fishermen, like Peter, James, John, Andrew, the fishermen They knew the Torah. They knew God is God of all creation. But they were also very afraid of the spirits, especially over the lake, over the Sea of Galilee. Those storms would just come up out of nowhere from seemingly a still glass sea to a raging cauldron. And many a fisherman had lost his life in that. And the Lord Jesus in Mark chapter four wants to teach the disciples a lesson about Baal. And it's a lesson we all need to learn. And that is, uh, that, I mean, well, let's, let's look at it. I, 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 I know you know it. That's our problem. We, we know these things. If you're like me, somebody says, take your Bible and turn to Psalm 23. I don't, I don't want to do that. I mean, I know Psalm 23. I can quote it. Take your Bible and turn to John chapter 3 verse 16. How many of us take our Bibles and turn there because we know this stuff? That's our problem. When we know stuff, we stop learning stuff. And so I'm learning, finally, when somebody wants to talk about a verse I think I know well, that I I better listen. And this is one of those stories. We've, we all know these stories, but do we know them? It says in chapter 4 of Mark, he began to teach again by the seashore. And such a very great multitude gathered before him that he got into a boat, uh, in the sea and sat down and all the multitude were by the seashore on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables and he begins to teach and y'all know that story, but move on down to verse, uh, uh, well, verse, uh, 35. Uh, And on that same day uh, they were exhausted. He said to his disciples let's go over to the other side of the lake and leaving the multitude or sending the multitude away They took Jesus along with them just as he was. I'm not sure exactly what that means except he was exhausted. They were exhausted. uh, And he goes in the boat just as he was. And he's so tired he just goes right to the back of the boat and goes sound asleep. And he was in the boat and other boats were with him and there arose a fierce gale of wind and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was filling up with water. Ah. Again, we've read this and read this and heard this and heard this. And so unless we have a vivid, accurate imagination, we may think of this as a pretty bad windstorm. But the the text here implies this was a terrible boat sinking event, one that the disciples, especially the fishermen disciples, were very afraid of. They lost loved ones in such a storm. there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much so that it began to fill the boat with water and He himself was in the back of the boat, asleep on a cushion. Let that soak in <laughs> soak in. <laughs> Let that get into your thinking. Get the picture. Close your eyes and get the picture. If the water is breaking over the whole boat and the boat is filling with water, then the water is breaking over Jesus. Can you sleep while somebody's pouring water on you? Well, Jesus was sound asleep on a cushion. <laughs> So much so that they had to wake him, and and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you even care that we are perishing? And being aroused, (laughs) he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Shut up, be still. And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. The Greek seems to imply immediately. It was like turning on, turning off a faucet. And he said to them, now get this, this is the part I really want to focus on. Because we just skip over it. We all quote it almost, but we don't pay attention to it. I think we we learn it and quote it so we don't have to think about it. Why are you so timid? How is it that you have no faith? And <laughs> verse 41 says, They went from timid to full-blown afraid. They became very much afraid when he said that and said to one another, Who is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him. The sea in the mind of ancient Israel was, was a, a symbol of the dark world. The words abyss, uh, Leviathan in the sea, the, the when Jesus says in Luke 21, the sea and the waves roaring. Men's hearts failing them for fear. Revelation chapter thirteen. I saw rising up out of the troubled sea uh, a beast. The sea is a symbol of the nations, but it's also a symbol. You know, it says in Revelation, much to the sorrow of many, many uh, water sportsmen. I know uh, there was no more sea. That doesn't mean there's no. No more ocean in the new world, for heaven's sakes. This is symbolic. There is no more going to be a place of dark, imit, of dark, uh, supernatural, hidden, mysterious, abysmal evil. It's gonna all be destroyed. It's gonna all be done away with. Um, but my point is this. You and I, As far as Jesus is concerned, and he's the only one that matters, you and I are perfectly safe. We are perfectly safe. Jesus is not being, certainly, he's not being religious. He ain't got a religious bone in his body. But he's not being coy, he's not being funny. He really is saying to the disciples on many levels, he's done this on purpose to teach them a lesson, uh, I, I want you to understand you're perfectly safe. So Don't you understand we're dying? No, you're not dying. Don't you understand the boat is sinking? We don't care about the boat. We're going to die anyway. We don't care about the boat. Jesus, Jesus is trying to get them to understand they're perfectly safe whether the boat sinks or not. Luke 21, he says it doesn't matter if they kill you, not a hair of your head will perish. Doesn't matter if they kill you, not a hair of your head will perish. I am going to live forever. I am going to go on and on and on, uninterrupted in love and ever increasing in love ever-increasing in joy, ever-increasing in peace, ever-increasing in creativity. That's my destiny. Why? Because I belong to him, and he who has begun a good work in me will finish it, and nothing can by any means hurt me. But I have a hard time believing that. We'll talk more about that probably later. But uh, forget the chapters... You know, Dr. Gordon Fee, one of the great, great New Testament scholars and a dear man, said the first thing you need to do when you read your Bible is get rid of the chapters. Get rid of the numbers. Get rid of the chapters. Just read the story. Because this, this is all this ongoing story. Forget chapter five. We're not changing, we're not changing chapters here. Changing stories. Who is this that even the winds and the waves obey obeying? Well, he wants to teach them a lesson. They think that the winds and waves are ruled over by Baal. They say, well, may God, God may be ruler of the world, but Baal is the ruler of the, of the, of the sea, the ruler of, of the lake. So they come to the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes, and when he had come out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. Why was why was this demonic being waiting for them? Like because this whole story is connected. This whole story is connected. Whoever stuck chapter five there messed up the flow of the whole story because. The the same spiritual force that was trying to sink the boat to keep Jesus from getting on the other side was now the same spirit that met Jesus at the tombs. Who is he? He's a worshiper of Baal. How do we know? He's cutting himself with stones. He's living in the tombs. He's naked. He's a Baal worshiper. Remember the worship of Baal and and Elijah when Elijah confronts the prophets of Baal? He had his dwelling among tombs and no one was able to bind him any more even with chains because he had often been bound with shackles and chains and the chains had been broken and torn apart by him no one was strong enough to subdue him and constantly night and day among the tombs in the uh, mountains he was crying out and gashing himself with stones And seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him and cried out with a loud voice. He said, What do I have to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he had been saying to him, notice Jesus was saying, as he walked toward the man, he was saying repeatedly, come out of him, come out of him. And he was asking him, what is your name? Jesus was not asking the demon his name. He didn't care about that. He was asking the man his name. Stand in your true self. Tell me who you are. And the demon arrogantly answered, my name is Legion, for we are many. And uh, then he asked for permission to go in the pigs. Why were there pigs? Jews don't have pigs. No, they've crossed over to the lake, to the Gentile side of the lake, where they worship Baal. And these, these pigs belong to the sacrifices of the temple of Baal. And so Jesus just gave them permission to go into their property. I'll refrain from the temptation to mention that this is where devil hymn came from. Anyway, the point is, y'all, we are entering this level of warfare. Yes, we need to pay attention to what's happening politically. Yes, we need to pay attention to what's happening ethnically and culturally. But our wrestling match is not against flesh and blood. It's against these principalities and powers and rulers of the world. The world rulers of this present darkness. And I believe all of you are called on some level or other to engage in that battle in prayer. I don't know fully what God has for all of us to do. And I want to be careful that I don't presume to tell you what you're supposed to do. I, I just, I just wonder as, as we come upon 30 years, 30 years of doing nightlight. Uh, y'all have been so good, so faithful, so helpful, so supportive, so prayerful. And I know you've all got your own lives to live, and you've all got your own line of ministry to be engaged in. But, uh, here in, in, in my little corner of the world, I have the privilege of speaking to so many of you from so many parts of the world. And I, I wonder what, what are we all supposed to be doing together? I'm not sure, I'm not trying to make myself some kind of spiritual general over you. I don't mean that, but, but we're all in this together and we're all learning together. I love it when I hear from you. And you tell me what the Holy Spirit is showing you. So, sometimes some of you will send me dreams or visions or words that you've gotten. And uh, it's amazing sometimes how they coalesce together with other things from people that y'all don't know each other in the in the natural. And when I have permission, I, I let y'all know of each other. I believe that God has networked us together to have a part to play in this vast Army of end time intercession and ministry. And, uh, I want to see the power of Baal broken off this nation, off these children. It was, remember, it was fathers and sons, a father and a son and another father and son who came up to tell me about the vision of the bulls of Bashan. Uh, I'll turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children especially the sons. Uh, that doesn't mean daughters are are not included in this. Please don't misunderstand. But Baal has to do with gender. It has to do with sexuality. Homosexuality and gender confusion are all wrapped up in, in Baal's manipulation and destruction of a, of a culture or a nation or a people. And uh, Lord willing, we'll talk more about that uh, maybe in the next session if you can bear it. But let's pray. Father, I lift up to you every man and woman in the sound of my voice. And I pray that what we've said today is pleasing to you. I pray that you will help us understand it and unpack it and discern it and respond to it so that we are effective for good In days ahead, for the days ahead may be dark, but they are the, they are the darkness right before the dawn. And we thank you, Father, that our eyes are on the dawn in Jesus name. Amen.